today we're going to continue on our study this fall. We're studying God's covenants and why they matter. Uh, I love this. I love this picture. Not this one. The next one. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, I don't know if you've been out to Green Gables um, lately, but there is this monolithic. Uh, architecturally stunning, huge <coughs> welcome center it's positioned next to the little white green and green and white house. It's a multi-million dollar uh, investment. And uh, as I've been driving by there in the golf cart, working there, uh, I know it's not worth, but. Working <laughs> at Green Gables, and I've watched this edifice being constructed. I've often thought of the McLean family. They're the family that used to own the farm, apparently. You guys would know better than me. And I think to myself, if we could bring those folks back in time uh, and place them uh, in the summer, presumably, on the front lawn of their farmhouse. What in the world would they be thinking? I mean, their house would be overrun with people from all over the world, right? There would be this little red-headed girl running around as if she owns the place, right? There would be um, busload after busload after busload uh, of people coming from this big, massive asphalt parking lot. There would be this Green Gables golf course surrounding the property. And I'm thinking to myself, they would not get it. <laughs> they wouldn't get it, right? Like, they'd be like, what is going on? Unless they were Asian. Because <laughs> it's taught in... No, I know, but they still wouldn't get it. Those folks would not get it. No. Those, the McLean family, no. they'd be like, ah! Yeah. Right? It has become something greater than what it initially was. Yeah. But I think to, my, to myself that, uh, as a segue, <laughs> that God, God wants us to get Jesus Christ. But if Jesus Christ just sort of plopped into the planet without anybody kind of understanding what he was all about, he, nobody would have gotten him. For instance, Jesus came and said, I've got to die to save you. And people were like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Die to save us. That doesn't make any sense. You know? And so, so much about Jesus Christ, we understand now because we're 2,000 years hence. Just like, you know, the, the tourists who show up at Green Gables, they get it now, like, you know, because they have the whole history and Lucy Maud Montgomery and all that stuff. They get it, but people wouldn't have gotten what Jesus Christ was doing unless there was a history that helped them to understand it. And that's what we're doing this fall. We're looking at, through the use of looking at the covenants, in other words, God's way of 
relating to humanity up to Christ, we're looking at the history of how God has prepared humanity so that we would get Jesus Christ and understand why he had to be a Jew, <laughs> why he had to be born of a woman, why couldn't he have just been, you know, like Star Trek, transported, you know, beamed in or whatever? In, you know, like, why did he have to be born of a woman? Right? Why did he have to uh, live a perfect life? I mean, we're a forgiving bunch. We'd sort of say, that's good enough. That guy's awesome. He's better than me. Why did he have to live a perfect life? Why did he have to die? Why did he have to shed his blood? Why did he have to rise from the grave? All of this stuff makes sense to us now, but you've got to understand, if Jesus had just appeared, it wouldn't have made any sense whatsoever. And so God, in his great grace, over time, progressively, helped us understand, oh, that's why Jesus is the way Jesus is. In fact, Paul says in Romans 5, 6, you see, at just the right time, when we are still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Like, that's not some uh, sort of like, uh, uh, kind of like uh, metaphysical kind of statement. That's basically saying that the right time for Jesus to come was 2,000 or so years ago to Israel while it was occupied by Romans who killed people through crucifixion. You get that? At just the right time, Jesus was given to us as a race, as a fallen race, as a sinful race, at the right time. Oh, it's sort of like the perfect storm. All the conditions then were perfect. And that's when Jesus came back just the right time. And so, as we look at God's big plan of saving a lost generation, us, a lost race, we are looking at how he progressively over time has unfolded. Maybe you can think of it as the onions being uh, one layer at a time. We're getting down to that core of the onion. He revealed it over time, progressively, so that we would get Jesus Christ. And the best way to do that, I believe, is by looking at the Old Testament covenants, and that's, that's what we're doing. Another analogy is, is to, to take a look at uh, 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 the creation of a masterful artist who, uh, with brush strokes or, or uh, chalk, pencil, whatever they're using, kind of progressively reveals what they want to convey as far as a message. And the message that's being revealed through the covenants over time, through thousands of years over time, is the person of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the brushstrokes just lead to the picture of Christ on the cross. And so we've taken a look at the Edenic covenant, which was before, before Adam and Eve even sinned, and God said something to them in a covenant. He made... Um, he made a, a promise to them, so to speak, um, that if you were to eat of this fruit, it would basically what you'd be doing is 
saying you don't want to follow my authority, and you reject my authority, and, and, and that is sin, okay? And, and then he said to them, this is how bad sin is to me. This is how abhorrent sin is to me, that, that death is the consequence of sin. Wow. So we, we learn right from the word go. God is hanging out with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's the way it was supposed to be. That was paradise. And that's the way God intended it. And he says, but if you blow it, I want you to know, if you blow it, you will die. And in fact, you will not just die once, you'll end up dying twice, quite frankly. Because you will physically die, but then you will die for eternity because, okay, it's not death per se, but what better word than eternally being out and away from, alienated from the source of life. I call that death, an eternal death, right? And so he said, this is the consequence for sin. And so you look forward to Jesus Christ. That's why some, somebody's got to die for sin. If there's going to be some solution to my sinfulness, it is going to include a death. That's why Jesus died. And so we look back and forth and we kind of see it all being tied. The Adamic covenant. There we find out that God is a God of great grace. And we find out that there is going to be a solution for the problem that Adam and Eve created. And actually, it's going to come from the seed of a woman or the offspring of a woman. So the offspring of a woman is going to address this issue that separates us from God and leads to two deaths, physical and eternal. It's going to be the seed of a woman. And then when God is dealing with Noah, we looked at this, we find out that for some reason, God would accept faith and obedience in him or to him as righteousness. We find out that Noah was righteous in God's eyes. Well, why was he righteous? Because he was willing to follow the instructions of building the ark and following God's ways. And so we find out that salvation can come through faith. Does this sound vaguely familiar to people that go to a gospel church? <laughs> All right. And then there's the Abrahamic covenant, which we started last week and we're going to finish this week. And that is that all nations on earth will be blessed through Abraham's offspring. So not only now do we know that there, there's a solution to our sin is going to come from a woman or offspring of humanity, but we find out that that person is going to be from Abraham and Sarah's family. And so we find out that... Jesus needed to be a descendant of Abraham. And so when you start to look at the ge genealogies in the gospel, uh, you, you look back and it starts with Abraham. And you see, oh, Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. I see. That's how it makes sense. So let's just read Genesis 12, 1 to 3 again. That's the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant that was given to Abraham by God. Now, just, just keep this in mind, Okay. This is a blank page that God is starting with. Because, in fact, there was no 
um, Israel or anything like that. This is where it all starts. It starts with Abraham. God chose one man. You know, and, and quite frankly, if, if we sat in judgment or we were the ones selecting someone, we wouldn't have picked Abraham because he worshipped false gods before God asked him to do his business for him. He, he was a pagan. He worshipped false gods, idols, before God interceded and said, hey, I'm the one true God. I want you to do something. This is what I want you to do. And he says it right here. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your, your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. And so there it is, right? Everyone's going to be blessed through Abraham's descendants, which is going to be a great nation. And then just as God, when he gives a covenant, sometimes he gives a sign of the covenant. And just as he did with Noah, giving us those, the, the rainbow, which would signify that God would never again flood the entire earth, um, God gave a, a sign to Abraham. And it's very different. This is the sign that he gave to Abraham. Genesis 17, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. So the sign of the covenant between Abraham and God was the act of circumcision. And when you think about that, whoa, that sounds kind of weird. But not when you think about it, because just as with Noah, the rainbow, which signifies the end of rain, okay, circumcision uh, has to do with reproduction, has to do with progeny, has to do with generations to come. And therefore, it makes total sense that if all the world is going to be blessed from the offspring of Abraham, that circumcision would be a sign to indicate God made a covenant with Abraham that all the world would be blessed. And so all of the male children were to be circumcised. So just as we started to see through the earlier covenants, the path to redemption that God has, this big plan, would involve a child of a woman. But as we discussed last week, we're specifically talking now about a descendant of Abraham. Now this is important. We need to understand a little bit further about this idea of the promise of becoming a great nation. Abraham, you're going to have kids, and they're going to have families, and those families are going to grow into a nation. And it's going to be a great nation. And so we start to see that um, Abraham's family is starting to become part of the plan of redemption. The nation that would come becomes part of God's plan. We read in Leviticus 20, 26, 
God speaking to that very nation that was created from Abraham's offspring. And he says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. And so the history of God's plan of redemption will begin at least with that nation, which we now know as Israel. And so we see the brushstrokes of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Redemption is going to come from a woman, a descendant of Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, and he's going to be a child of a great nation, which we now know is Israel. So last week we talked about the fact that um, in our rubric that we've been using, that Jesus Christ is explained through the covenant to Abraham. So this week I want us to finish that rubric and just go through a few more things that are so important and powerful. The rubric once again goes, the covenants of God progressively explain Jesus Christ. They're imposed by God for our benefit and His glory, and they are either conditional or unconditional. So we've talked about how Jesus Christ has explained that He is going to come from Israel. So this week I want us to finish the rubric by starting with the covenants of God are imposed by God for our benefit. How was Israel to benefit me? How was Israel to benefit all of humanity, this great nation? How was it to benefit us? Well, we see in Isaiah 49, 6, these words. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel. I have kept. I also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is the crux of how we are beneficiaries of that great nation known as Israel. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Israel right now is a great nation. Okay? I'm saying, and you can have opinions about that, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the nation that God intended to come from Abraham's family, that great nation, was to be a light to the world. Israel was to be a light to the world. Well, how in the world could Israel become a light to the world? Well, this is how it happens. Israel became a light to the world because through Israel, people understood that there was one God. You get that? Because many of the nations around in the Old Testament times had many, many, many gods. So we find out that through the great nation of Israel, we find out that there is only one God. We also find out, through the people of Israel, how they can be a light to us. The other way they can be a light to us is that how they were living their lives was to be a light to us. Like if, and we'll get to this next week, you look at the law that was given to Moses, you look at how Israel was to live, 
If it lived the way it was prescribed in the law, it would certainly show the world a radically different way of living life. A holy way of living life. A life that was committed to the one true God. A life that had morality that was pleasing to God. A, a, a life that had a worship that was pleasing to God. A, a, a life, a light, um, a, a life uh, that would be reflective of um, not just morality, but how people were to relate to each other. All of these things were how Israel was to be a light. This great nation would be a light to the world. It's no small wonder when Jesus came along, he said this in John 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Interesting that he chose that. That he was a product of Israel and he would be a light to the world. You see, the whole world benefits, benefited or was to benefit from the great nation that God had intended Israel to be. Because Israel was to have all of the aspects of how God wanted us to live. We should have seen that in Israel. So, God's covenants are imposed by God for our benefit. Let me move on to the next one. The covenants of God are imposed by God for His glory. We read in Deuteronomy 7, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. The Lord did not set His affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept an oath, and he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out of a mighty hand, by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful God, keeping his covenant to love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So not only was this great nation that were going to be the descendants of Abraham going to bless all the world, but as a nation, they would be a light. But also, they were supposed to bring glory to God. This is why you find in the Old Testament so many times, kind of God just so discouraged and, and, and kind of grieving over the fact that Israel didn't follow his commands and wasn't a light. And it was seen by God as a reflection on him. Um, if Israel had lived the way they were supposed to live, people would have been impressed by their God. But because they didn't live according to the way God wanted them to live, it was a denigration of God. It was a, he was by association uh, not honored. 
But the plan was that God was to be honored through the people of Israel as they were a light to the whole world. So, we see that the covenants of God are imposed by God for his glory. And certainly this plan that God had of through Abraham creating a great nation that would be a light to the world was to give glory to God. Sadly, though, of course, we find that that didn't happen in many, many instances. There were times. I remember when Moses, for instance, uh, when the people of Israel, after they'd been delivered from Egypt, <laughs> Moses actually appeals to this notion with God. Because, quite frankly, you remember they, they built that idol, the golden calf, and they wanted to worship it while Moses was up on the hill getting the law. And when they came down, God was furious. <laughs> because they weren't being light. They were simply being like all the other pagan nations around them and worshiping idols of animals and creatures. And so God is furious, and he's like, I'm going to wipe these people off the face of the earth. And what does Moses appeal to? He says to God, that would be a, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, that would be a poor reflection on you. It would be a poor reflection on you if you annihilated the people that you created to be the light of the world. Because you're a God of love and of grace and of mercy. And so, don't do it. Don't destroy the people of Israel. Okay? And so, this notion that Israel, being a light of the world, had an influence on how the God of Israel was seen in the world played a really significant role throughout the Old Testament. Um, God often criticized Israel because they weren't being a light and it had a poor reflection on him as their God. They would claim that he was their God, but then they would live a dark existence doing what all the other nations around them were doing. And this was an issue. But the plan was that the covenants of God were imposed by God for his glory. Because if Israel did live as a light to the world, then in fact, um, he would have been glorified. All right. And this is the last thing I want to say about the Abrahamic covenant. And it's this. The covenants of God are either conditional or unconditional. Which is which in this case? Over this, the church is divided. Remember, a conditional covenant is a covenant that God gives to a person or a people. And basically, it's I will, God says, I will do this if you do this, or on the condition that you do that. An unconditional covenant is where God basically says, do what you like, but this is what I'm going to do. All right? And so this covenant with Abraham, was it conditional or was it not conditional? Was it conditional or unconditional? The church is divided, as I said, on this issue. So some people say that the covenant of Abraham was unconditional. And they would point to a verse like Genesis 13, 14 to 15. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had 
parted with him, look around and where you are, to the north and south, to east and west, all the land that you see, and I will give it to you and your offspring forever. That's unconditional, right? Just look around. I'm giving it to you forever. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No conditions applied. Um, it's yours. So they would point to that and they would say, God's covenant is unconditional. Now these Christians, and there will be many in here who believe this, these Christians um, ultimately believe that Israel will ultimately receive that land that Abraham was looking at at the time. And it's not what Israel possesses now. It's a greater property, a much greater property, okay, than what they possess now, what their boundaries um, are at this point. And so these, these Christians believe that they see the creation of Israel, for instance, in 1948 as a step towards the realization of Abraham, uh, of the covenant that God gave to Abraham that you will possess all of this land forever. That might be some of you folks. But there's others in this crowd um, that would not think it that way. And then there's many other Christians who believe that the covenant that God gave to Abraham is actually a conditional covenant. And they would point to Genesis 22. This is after Abraham put Isaac on the altar and was about to sacrifice him as God had told him. And then he said, no, this was a test. Don't kill him. I just want to know you had faith. This is what uh, happens next in Genesis 22. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that... And here's the key. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of uh, the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have believed or have obeyed me. You see, that's unconditional, right? Basically, God is saying, because you've done this, I will do this. I will fulfill the promise. Right. And so some people would say that the promises, oh, I should finish this. These Christians who believe that the promise to Abraham was conditional, they still have to resolve all of this talk about great nation, holy nation, uh, great properties, um, forever promised to Abraham. What they do is they see Abraham less as a Jew by DNA, if you know what I mean, than a Abraham as um, worthy of the promise because he had faith. You get that? So if Abraham had faith, he was, he was worthy to, if he was a person of faith, he would be uh, worthy to have this promise made to him. Others would say, well, because Abraham was actually um, his DNA, he was, he was the first Jew, if you will. Because he was a Jew, that's why he was given uh, that promise. And so you have a division within the church um, where there are people that will now look to those promises to Abraham and they see it being fulfilled through the people of faith 
who are the church. So they see uh, the holy nation as the Christian church. They see the great nation as the Christian church. And they see the great properties metaphorically as someday Christians will inherit the earth. You see how this is, is different, okay? So the thing is that whether this is conditional or unconditional is a matter of debate for you, all right? And um, the reason I tell you that, because some, some people are saying, well, why do I need to know that? Well, you need to know this stuff because you'll have people who will tell you, come, come to a prayer meeting tonight. We're praying for the nation of Israel, right? And there are evangelical Christians who will, you know, be inviting you to a prayer meeting for Israel, all right? And you may get to that meeting and you're praying for the people of Israel. You also need to know that there are people that would never go to a prayer meeting for the people of Israel necessarily because they don't see Israel as part of um, the plan because they blew it, right? The promises were conditional, right? So they would not be part of anything like that. So just don't assume that when we're talking about Israel, <laughs> that it's, you know, it's a slam dunk that all Christians believe that Israel is going to one day be um, a great nation and will inherit this huge property and stuff like that. Don't just assume that because there are a lot of Christians with very good arguments that would suggest the opposite. That basically say that the Israel, quite frankly, has been replaced by the church. And you have to take this covenant with Abraham as a metaphor, and a metaphorically. Okay? I know that's heavy stuff, but you need to know that because uh, you, you need to, because we come across this stuff, right? You come across websites, right? You'll come across uh, different people that'll speak differently, and maybe they're talking about the end times, and all this, you know. Well, where where does Israel fit into this? And they're not talking about Israel at all. They're talking about the church, right? So you, you kind of need you need you need to know that. So where are we at with with this? I just want to wrap this up. What's the big idea? I, I feel like I need to apologize to you guys <laughs> because a lot of what we're doing this fall is um, I, I, you don't get to walk out of here with this little sort of thing like, I can apply that to my life this week. Uh, but I won't apologize. <laughs> and the reason I won't apologize, <laughs> the reason I won't apologize for that is that, um, I don't know, maybe when we, it gets to be Christmas and we start talking about why Jesus Christ is the way Jesus Christ is, and that he's the seed, okay, uh, you know, that he uh, had to die, and all of the stuff are related to Jesus Christ, and it all makes sense because we've studied all this stuff, then maybe you'll walk away sort of saying, wow, it all makes sense, that's inspiring. But for today, I want you to walk away with this idea, that in order to have confidence in Jesus Christ, in order to, I mean, and I'm talking about really believing what you believe, right? If you're going to have confidence in Jesus Christ, you need to know that Jesus Christ makes sense. You need to know that Jesus Christ is the actual solution to your problem of sin. 
You need to have confidence. And what I'm trying to give you is the ideas of why you can have confidence in Jesus Christ. Because through history, we have seen God relate with mankind as he has unfolded the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, being all that you need. And so, that's all you get. <laughs> I can't give you any little tidbit to walk out of here with. We're studying history. We're studying how the covenants make sense, how it all comes together. Know this. God's plan of redemption is because sin is so offensive to God. And so he made this plan of redemption and included an offspring of the woman. It includes a death. It includes, now we know, someone from Israel. right? Um, and so the pieces are starting to connect. And importantly, it has something to do with faith. And so we're starting to see now that picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. The strokes are coming together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we don't just have the New Testament, but we have the Old Testament. I thank you, Lord, that you gave it to us for a reason. I thank you, Lord, that the stories and the interactions that you had with Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, these, these guys that we're going to be we're looking at, um, those relationships all have to do, all are consummated in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you. Because now we can have confidence that, yeah, Jesus Christ does address the issue that we're all aware of, and it is our sin. And he does fulfill all that you've required over time as a solution to that issue of sin. So I thank you, Lord, you're good to us, and I praise you and I worship you. You're a holy God. As we've been singing today, uh, you're the God of the ages, before time. You, you are the Alpha, you are the Omega, you are uh, eternal, and you are in charge. And you've brought about such a perfect plan for us to be redeemed. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a great day, guys.